Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Hello and welcome to episode number 67 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. And like I said on the last episode, because of bandwidth usage, I had to record this intro and outro three weeks prior to release. So this is coming out a week after the the initial three weeks worth of quarantine had finished. So God only knows where we are at the moment. Is it all over? Are we all back to work? Or is there no one left listening to this podcast? This week, I'm taking you to Richmond to meet Christian Fur. I first met Christian at the Art Car Boot Fair several years ago. And when I was at Ben Ein's studio last year, Christian popped in to see Ben, and I asked him if he'd be a part of the podcast. Christian is the third artist we've had featured, who has produced a commissioned artwork of the Queen. The first being Darren Baker, the second Rob Mundy. And like Mark Sloper from last week's episode, Christian Fur has also collaborated with Neon King Chris Bracey. And funnily enough, in a previous conversation with Christian, he told me about a documentary that he was making about Chris Bracey. And I put him in touch with Mark Sloper because he would be the perfect man to assist Chris should he come up against any hurdles. Because as you heard last week, Mark Sloper was close friends with Chris Bracey and he's also a film producer. 
But before I introduce any spoilers into this week's podcast, come and join me and Christian Fur in the Richmond Atelier. They're brilliant, the whole system's brilliant. They look after the homeless, they look after people with mental health problems. You don't see people on the streets. The kids have a better education because it's a bit more laid back. There's no kind of enforcement of this. this. A lot of kids now are getting structure, to me anyway, the structure of them putting in the exams from an early age. They've just changed it again to be like that. And it's just, I disagree with it, you know, and I think I always like you just did, name check Scandinavia as a model for mm. another way of living and another possibility. You know, people can get really insular living in, in one country and, and not um, opening the mind. I mean, the best thing for opening your mind is travel, isn't it? You see yeah, it the I've way never, other people never, live. I've never travelled much, really, which I've always... I just think it's... Um, if, you're, if, you're the, if you're the strange one in, a, in, a, in another place, then you get another idea of, you know... Of um, what it's like, you know, mm. when you when you suddenly feel well, you're, you're stepping outside your own bubble, especially yeah. being in London, because London's very different. To but L- London is very, you know, cosmopolitan, and it's brilliant for that reason, you know, and it's like loads of different cultures and everything. But I think you can't be travelling if you. Have, that's why I was thinking, if I ever get the chance to travel, I'd snap it up, you know, because I went to China a couple of years ago, and when I went to the Yellow Mountains and. Um, spent time up there and it was the, you know the cable car just kept going up 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 you know into the clouds kind yeah. of thing but when you get there I think this is incredible you know geographically it's totally different but just I was the only sort of westerner a lot of the times you know there's a lot of Chinese everywhere and how did you feel then? it just destroys stereotypes do you yeah. know what I mean? so uh, I mean in the past anyway you read literature and the stereotypical depictions of people um that you, who knows they may live on in through families or through you know ideas being passed on through generations but you cannot beat it's a classic sort of scenario the fish out of water scenario there's mm-hmm. loads of films and, and plays and on that premise where someone goes to another country and they're the fish out of water and then the idea on that show, on his head. Yeah. yeah so I mean I loved it because I think being an artist anyway, you're a bit of an outsider in any sort of, in a lot of um, senses, uh, because you think differently, you know, you, you, uh, it's like looking at things through the long end of a telescope mm. sometimes, you, you look at it in a different way, so that's why I'm always banging on about the power of artists, you know, they can really make people think in a different way, and if I had my way, every corporate building in London and, and everywhere would have, um, if it's a high rise or whatever, in the basement, an artist in the basement doing their stuff, and anybody in the building come, can come down at any time and chat to them and have a bit of lateral thinking, mm. you know, because most of the artists are me, it just got brilliant off the wall ideas. And yeah. a lot of the times, I mean, the best ones are the ones that make you look at things completely differently, you know, so the most powerful artists can um, take something that you take for granted and change it, you know, change how you perceive yeah, even, it. Even if you disagree with what they're saying, it's still making you question normality. Yeah, yeah, you've got the right to disagree or agree, you know, but the questioning should be part of it. So I'm a, I love, um, you know, I've been dipping my toe in, like, philosophers, you know, and uh, I love, you know, I mean, I, on Instagram, I just... I've got a collection of quotes, you know, and, and certain yeah, philosophers that I've, yeah. I follow, and every now and then I get a daily a dose of a, 
a quote by someone and um, Socrates is my favourite and he was well known for just questioning all the time just questioning everything and not taking anybody's word for anything and I think um, that is probably part of the mindset of being an artist that you, you're constantly questioning things um, and I think it's healthy so I should mention that I'm with Christian Fur, the Richmond Italia. I've got seven questions that I ask each artist. Go for it. The first is, how would you explain what you do to someone that doesn't know your work? Well, I think the first thing that I probably am known for is painting the Queen age 28. You know, I had this incredible opportunity. She was 28 or you was 28. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a concept. That's, that's a different work of art. Isn't it? Um, well, I was, you know, I was living above a shop in Surbiton, not far from here, with my girlfriend and her wife, and uh, I got this call out of the blue. And it was the director of the Royal Overseas League, which is a Commonwealth organisation. And... Um, and he said, uh, I think this, uh, first of all, I thought this is a bit weird because why is the director calling me? You know, so I thought yeah. it was a bit strange. Um, and then he said, Oh, is that Christian? I said, Yeah. And he said, uh, Are you sitting down? And I said, I am now. And he said, Oh, the Queen would like you to paint her portrait. So uh, it was like a mind blown, blow yeah. thing, you know, mind blow experience because um, I'd had, you know, I had a student Did you think it was a wind up? Sorry to, to interrupt. Did you think there it was a, a friend or something? I, I didn't band. because I knew his voice. Oh, you know, his okay. voice is very distinctive. I knew his voice from previous, uh, you know, having met him yeah, before. Yeah. Sorry. And um, you know, I just thought this is so strange because at that time I was in Hackney and um, Hackney Wick. You know, uh, where Carpenter's Road yeah, was. Yeah. I don't even know whether that road was. I know Carpenter's Road. So yeah, it was on. It was on Carpenter's Road. It's a big, big artist complex. And I was I was looking at books of Velasquez and Titian, and I was looking at all their royal portraits, you know, and looking, thinking, oh, it must have been amazing to paint the Spanish royal court. And they were the big patrons at the time, you know. And then all of a sudden, I get this phone call out of the blue. I couldn't believe it. I thought, I've got this. This is an amazing opportunity. And she'd actually seen my work. She'd seen I think about six or seven different artists that had shown at the at the Royal Overseas League, which is in Park Place, off St James. And picked me from seeing one of the pictures that I'd done, a painting that I'd done of uh, Manit Lal, who was director of Air India. And I think she must have liked something about that painting. It's uh, pretty cool that she chose you personally. Totally, yeah, totally. It was, it was amazing. And, um, you know, the, then, then uh, I got the chance to paint the portrait at the palace, you know, and, and uh, I had a red beetle at the time. And I drove up to the palace gates in this beetle. And it, it, think about it now, it's a bit like a scene in a film or something, because yeah. I had all my paintbrushes sticking out the back. I drove up to the gates, and it wasn't long after someone had, you know, tried to get in there and, you know, um, hijack the place or whatever. So the guards were sort of like, what do you want? And I said, um, I'm here to paint the Queen. And they, they were laughing, the, you know, big smiles on the face, grinning like a Cheshire cat. And we're checking on the walkie-talkies. So, yeah, come on, come on, come on. And then, I, you know, I went up to the yellow drawing room, walked down the long corridor with the red carpet and everything, walked into this massive room, not knowing what I was going to paint or how I was going to compose the picture. 
and uh, and took it from there and tried different. I think I got the there were two guys there that were there to help me, and I was saying, "Oh, can you move that there? Can you move this there?" And I got them to move things around, and eventually thought, you know, settled on a composition that I, I liked, and uh, and waited for the queen to come in. I mean, that, that was probably the most nerve-wracking time, just waiting for her to come in. It's like going to a doctor's or something. But then once she came in, it was it was fine, you know, and it was it was a a really amazing experience when I look back on it. Uh, but for that to happen at that age was pivotal, really, for yeah. me. So, going back to the original question of how I explain what I do, that's what I'm probably most known for, and um, all the other things I do, uh, you know, are things that I've always been interested in anyway. But that, that's you know, with 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 anything that can happen, sometimes you you get sort of tagged with something, you mm. know, and it's quite right, and you know understandable as human nature. Do you find it beneficial that that happened early in your career? I think so, because what happened was um, I'd moved to London and I was thinking I'm going to try and make a go of it, you know, in London, coming from Wirral originally. um, I made the decision after studying fine art at Montfort University, I did a court, you know, fine art degree there, that I was going to come down to London and I had friends here. And I moved to Palmer's Green, and I, and I just tried to make it. And it's really tough, you know. Like yeah. choosing art as a career is is not the easiest career choice. Um, so it, it's a tough choice. And at the time, you know, I was I was, you know, more or less the garret phase. You know, I had mm. a studio in Whitechapel, and there was no. I ended up living there for a bit. You know, there's no hot water and stuff. Um, but then this this big. Uh, this this you know big opportunity happened. Actually, when when I got that call, I was with my girlfriend and we were in Surbiton. So, but before that, you know, I'd, I'd been in Whitechapel um, with with my studio there. So, it, it, I mean, it definitely helped my my career. You know, it definitely um, helped to uh, open doors and things like that. So suddenly, after that happening, I was getting academic portraits and. Nice. Um, you know, so there's a lot of places dotted around London uh, that have got my portraits of the so president. pretty much exactly. pushed in a direction. Yeah, and it was, you know, the commissions, and you live and die by your commissions yeah. and your patrons, really. Particularly if you're doing portraits, uh, which is probably my main interest. Mm. You know, when I'm painting portraits, uh, I do love doing it, and I love painting different people and meeting different people. Uh, but I also love doing other things. You know, if an idea comes to me, I think that would make a great work of art. That's I'll follow it and do it. I don't want to feel constrained by um, something that I, you know other people think I'll, um, I should be doing. You know, I, I think freedom is really integral to being an artist. Well, a world away from a, a royal commission is a slice of Battenberg or a slice of cheese. The Battenbergs I thought were brilliant, and the cheese slice that you put in my show a little while ago, just a, a pasteurised cheese slice, oil painted, taken in a totally different direction, making you look at it yeah. in a different way. Well, I love that stuff, and I think what it is, it's everyday things, mm. you know, and um, they're everyday things that you just see, and, and sometimes you don't really, you know, take on just how 
uh, beautiful they can be, mm. you know, even though they're mundane things. Um, so I've been doing that, I've been painting cheeses and I've been painting like the cheese slice is, it's, that's like a challenge, you know, yeah, cause you, you think, okay, it's a, it's, it's it's a slice of processed cheese, <laughs> what am I going to do with this, you know, but then when I was painting it, I was thinking, actually it looks a bit like Carl Andre's bricks yeah, or something, yeah. you know, it's like flat on the, on the, I've got a little space in my um, studio where I set whatever it is up whether it's a piece of cheese or a piece of cake and I just give it my attention for three hours yeah. and lose myself in this object whatever yeah. it is especially where it could have been the style in which you painted it could have it could have been in the, the 18th century oh it? yeah totally and then it's just then you look at the packet of the cheese yeah, it, so, well the ashmolean is, is filled with um, paintings of cheeses and still life so to me it was a it was a logical progression of yeah. uh, the golden age things where they where they'd paint uh, cheeses and everyday objects yeah. and vanitas scenes and everything and um, and I, I made a point of painting artisan cheeses but also the modern cheeses of course you know because very often with the modern cheeses it's the packaging yeah. that is more interesting you know and, and I love Warhol and I love what he did with the soup can yeah. and um, and he got his inspiration from the supermarket like me I was, I'm, I'm looking for Dairy Ro- Road 9 you know, <laughs> Was you interested in art as a kid? Very much. Uh, I mean, I loved. Um, I remember uh, copying from comics like the Beano and the Dandy. I loved the Beano and um, you know copying the characters Plug yeah. and the Bash Street Kids and all those amazing characters done by the guys in Dundee. Mm. Um, uh, what are they called? I can't remember the name, but they're, they're amazing. You know, DC Thompson, I think. But those those cartoonists and. and Again, they were able to expand ideas with the pen, mm. you know, and simple things. A cartoon strip can have so many ideas in it, you mm. know, and, and make you laugh as well. I mean, I think one of the things that I like to think that my work has is a sense of humour running through oh, it, definitely. whether or not that's very dry or any any other thing. If I can, it might often be subconsciously thread through things but it might sometimes be conscious mm-hmm. you know inspiration can be conscious and unconscious sometimes and uh, I like to have that thing going on in my work you know so something like the cheese slice you know hopefully you look at it and you know what it is I quite yeah. like the fact that people can recognise something like that or the Dairy Lee I've had so many responses to the Dairy Lee where people get quite emotional and I'm thinking, what is going on here? And they go, oh, that, the dairy lid. I say, what's it? So, well, my mum used yeah, to put yeah, it yeah. in my lunchbox. You know, and it was like a little sign <laughs> of love. Yeah. You know, so nostalgia and love, you know. Well, when I saw the Battenberg, it was one of the first I saw in, in that sort of area. I thought, because of the history of the Battenberg cake, and yeah. knowing that you'd painted the royals, I, know. I thought that I love was that. where you was coming yeah. from. Yeah, because the history of the Battenbergs, that, that royal connection, anything yeah. in Marie Antoinette. It's the uni- unity of two yeah. families. Yeah, and when I, saw, when I thought about it, you know where the original inspiration came from? It was uh, Leonie Orton had written a memoir about Joe Orton, and um, she was a lot younger than Joe Orton, her brother who lived in Islington, and she remembers coming to his flat in Islington and uh, being perplexed because he came in holding this plate right with a Battenberg on it 
and him and Kenneth Halliwell started elucidating about his <laughs> amazingly beautiful sym- yeah. symmetrical qualities and the, the balance of colours and and she was sitting there going, what are they going on about? Yeah, she couldn't, get, she didn't understand it. Yeah, but when I, when I read it, I thought that I saw it as a painting. I thought yeah. that's that's got to be painted like my cheese. You know, yeah. it's got to it's got to be celebrated and immortalised in, in an oil painting. So that was the initial thing, and then all the other all these other coincidences fell into place. You know, it's a, the Battenberg, the Royal Connection. My sister told me that it was my dad's favourite cake. You know, and all these happy coincidences yeah. sort of flooded in on top of this one thing. But that can happen sometimes. You very often when you paint, make paintings, you don't often know what it, why you're doing it or what where the idea for the vision comes from. And then it's only later, or a few years later, you, you realise what was going on. Mm. Yeah, when once things start to to click in place, was your parents arty? My grandmother used to paint in oils. She used to paint flowers, and and she. I think when I was about 15 or 12 or something like that, quite between 12 and 15, she said, oh, do you want to try oil paint? Because she used to paint these flowers. And uh, I said, yeah, okay. And as soon as I picked up the brushes and the paint, I thought, this is amazing. It was like opening a box yeah, of tricks. Yeah. And I thought, that I'm hooked on this. Because it was so, oil paint is so malleable. You can change it. And I set up a little still life and a banana apple. Nice. God, I love this. Yes, you know, there was no turning back then. But then I did a foundation, and I wasn't sure. You're never quite sure when you're young what you're going to do. Do you know what it was that you wanted to become an artist? Uh, well, I remember doing a foundation, and I really didn't know. I knew it was going to go into some. I wanted to go into some creative direction. But I remember foundation, aged eighteen. This guy coming. Uh, one of the guys on foundation was a boxer, as well as doing foundation his mate came down and his mate was a bit of an eccentric as I remember he had a curly moustache you know he looked a whistler or something and he said so what are you going to do then Chris what are you, what are you thinking are you going to do graphics are you going to do fine art what are you going to do because that, that's the whole point of foundation that you're yeah, trying to find yeah. where your interests lie I said well I was thinking about you know doing maybe doing graphics he said oh you don't want to do graphics they just sit there in booths with the headphones on the Walkmans. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, yeah. fine art, you just go and get pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you want to That's a bit more appealing than yeah. a booth with headphones. I remember beginning fine art and thinking this is, it was completely structureless in a way. And it's a good training for uh, life outside of college because you have to be self-motivated, yeah. you know. Um, but... I remember, I think I read a quote from Mick Hucknall saying it, he did fine art in Manchester and he said it's a three year holiday. <laughs> <laughs> and that was in the days of, um, you know, when they were funded, yeah. you know, the courses were funded. Nowadays, you know, students have to pay for their education. And, uh, for the nice as well. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I was doing fine art and there was threatened, you know, I think the, the, the government threatened to take away housing benefit or something like that. Mm. And there were, the students went out on the streets and they were yeah. protesting about it. And I do feel a bit sorry for um, uh, you know new students now and the fact that it's uh, you know everything's got to be paid for up front. And I don't I don't personally like the idea of them coming out with debt. You know, yeah. and also I think it, you know it's it's really hard and it makes you focus. You know, when when you're if something's given to you on a plate, then 
you don't often appreciate it mm. as well. So there's that argument, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think it is a privileged position being at a college and having three years to learn about things. But it's also social education. And I do believe in, you know, the education process. And if you, if you get that chance or you're interested in it, you know. It's not the way for everyone. You know, no. some, some people want to go and work and, and learn that they, they want to do something else through doing work and sometimes you need a situation to react against in order to find you the direction that you do want yeah. to go in yeah. you know so there's, there's a million ways to get into where you want to go but you need to be doing something as opposed to nothing to find out don't you career up to today um, I mean the last painting you've done I was lucky enough to see it in a few different stages where I've you know, been lucky enough to pop in to see you a few times over the last few months was Goya at the Prado. Yeah. Um, that's only recently gone. It was a massive painting. It's the biggest one I've done. Stunning as well, if you don't mind me saying. Thank you. Thank you. What I loved about it was that it's... Um, it was using portraits, but in a different way. Yeah. And it was referencing portraits. So the idea behind the painting is that you're in a gallery space there's no one else around and you're surrounded by these amazing works of art which in this case are by Goya and uh, it happened because a guy in New York commissioned me and we had a discussion and he said I think this idea would be great you know you're in a gallery it's like having the gallery to yourself mm. and all the Goyas to yourself yeah. and I thought this is as soon as he said it I saw, saw what it was going to look like and I thought this is, this is such a brilliant idea and, um, and in a way, it's a c complete sort of culmination of everything that I'm interested in because I did the portrait of um, Thomas Van Strabenzi and Lady Melissa Percy in the Wallace collection, yeah. surrounded by works of art. And this just takes the people out of it and the people become the people in the portraits and Goya himself, yeah, he yeah. painted himself in the top left corner. So I went to the gallery, I flew to Madrid, I hired the gallery for an hour, which was... Expensive, oh, right? Ask. Yeah, uh, and but it was worth it because I could wander around and spend time with these these amazing paintings on my own, and it was a bit like being a mouse in a gallery, yeah, and just like yeah. oh my god, it was completely surreal. I mean, it's a massive place, and it's one of my favourite galleries in the world. I mean, I I could just spend days in there, you know, literally, I could I could just you know hang out there for a long time because it's just. And to me, it's like having conversations with the past. Yeah, yeah. You know, those those artists um, were just only the, only the exceptional people made it to the walls. Mm. You know, of that place, and and also other galleries like the National Gallery in London yeah. and uh, galleries with special works of art. So I wanted to celebrate that that idea of um, that's where you exist after you go. Mm. If you're an artist and you you know you've done the best you can because. It's appreciated by the future generation. You said it was the biggest one you've done. What was it? It was about eight by five, eight by it's something four like that. Something. Yeah, it's something like that. Um, it was quite hefty, wasn't it? It's a big old piece, and I, and I had to, um, you know, what I did was I went there, I wandered around, I took loads of images, uh, photographs of what I needed, and, and two of the paintings in the foreground were from different gallery mm. rooms. Yeah. So I had to go there, and I was up against the clock really. I said, oh my God, I've got an and, and I actually rehearsed it. When I, when I arrived in the hotel, I had the camera and I was imagining, you know, this gallery, this gallery. And sometimes that's a really good way of preparing yourself. Yeah. You know, you run through it. 
it works with speeches as well where you just imagine that you're doing the speech mm. and, and it's like a rehearsal for the real thing so when I got there I'd, thankfully I think everything ran smoothly and I you know, got in the other galleries and took the pictures of the uh, angle of the two paintings that I put in the left and right the foreground mm. pictures of the um, Carlos, King Carlos on one side and the other king on the other with his family and I then digitally placed those into the gallery space and swapped them out for the for the paintings mm. that are and the room is room 64 in the Prado um, and then I, you know I recreated it here in the studio and I thought how am I going to do this because it's just I wanted to finish it by a certain time and I did the old fashioned thing where you square up the canvas and I split it into 40 squares and I painted each square as like an individual painting yeah, each, yeah, and then yeah. gradually, you know, from the top left, going across downwards, and that knowing that when I'd filled all the squares in, then I could fuse it all together and mm. get everything sitting correctly, the lights, the temp- tempering the tones, tempering the saturation of the colours and everything. Um, but I always think if something's overwhelming, break it down into little pieces, yeah. you know, and um, again, that's probably happened through... Um, you know, being in in a fine art situation where you don't know where where your directions come. I'm saying that when when I come back come in a second time and saw it, it was upside down. Yeah. And I was outside with an artist who's a non-painter, um, and he said, "Oh my God, he's got it upside down." Yeah. Because like I said to him, "Well, he's only painting shapes. He's not painting." That's the way you're he's not painting the gallery. He's just painting a yeah. square. Or, he thought it was amazing that he was painting it upside down. Because you right on the on the on the main road pretty much did you have many people coming in or when I when I've, I've been painting in here it's a gallery space as, as well as a studio so and I've only had it for a few months and what I've found is it's actually quite nice because I'd be working here burning the midnight oil sometimes working really late at night just trying to because when when I get going in the studio I keep I want to keep you know carry on painting through into the darkness and everything so I'd be painting on something painting on it and all of a sudden I'd hear a you know, knock at the window. <laughs> I go, what the? and I turn around. There'd be someone at the window, like going like that with the thumbs. And I thought, oh, that's nice. Yeah. You know, because normally when you're in the studio, you're on your own, yeah, and alone, you don't, yeah. you know, you don't get any feedback or anything. So every now and then, there'd be a, a kindly passerby. Yeah. Now the reason I paint upside down is because it, it makes you look at it in an abstract yeah. way, particularly if it's people or mm-hmm. faces. Because I sometimes have um, classes with people and I help them, you know, sort of mentor them and young artists that want to try and find what it is that they're interested in. And very often they might go in abstract directions, someone will do, learn about figurative stuff. But one thing to say, whether it's figurative or not, is turn it upside down and um, then you're just looking at the balance of everything mm-hmm. and the shapes and you're not, it's not a face anymore, it's not yeah. someone you know anymore. And then you can turn it r- the right way around. You know, and the other the other trick that I use is um, mirror. If you look in a mirror, all of a sudden you'll say, "Oh my God, that's way out!" Yeah. Like the balance yeah. is wrong because your brain can play tricks mm. on you. Your left your left side of your brain, your right side of your brain sometimes has a bias. Mm. So it's it's being aware of your own process and your own biases. You know, so you've got to deconstruct your own process sometimes. How do you relax? If I'm really stressed by something that's happening. I, I try and meditate and um, I started doing that a while ago and I don't do it I do it when I can um, and just deep breaths you know like taking deep breaths and uh, 
concentrating on your breath can really help, you know, because it just, what, what the aim is to try and empty your mind of all thoughts. You've got to think of your head like a sort of sky and the thoughts are like clouds passing through mm. it. And, and I do that to relax. And um, I actually quite like fishing as well. Not that I do much of it. I've got a mate who's a keen um, coarse fisherman. So sometimes I'll go and do a bit of fishing in the summertime if, it, if I get the chance. Uh, because I think that's a bit meditative. Because some people say, oh, can you do fishing? It's so boring, you know, just yeah. looking at that's not that's the point you know you're looking at a point in the water concentration and it's like a mantra yeah. or something you're looking at points and also the water there's something about water that's really good being by the water mm. I'm really into uh, Siddhartha by Herman Hess yeah yeah I love his writings and, um, I read The Glass Bead Game recently which is fantastic actually I didn't read it I'm telling you I listened to it on an no, audio book because yeah, right when I'm in the studio I, I listen to books now yeah. and uh and get inspiration from that. Well, I was drawing last week, or week before last, just doing these little tally marks to make up a, a drawing. And I was doing it for four and a half hours. Um, and then I had to paint a little bit of ceiling in the bathroom. Yeah. And I was doing that for about ten minutes. I said, I can't do it, I'm so bored with it. Yeah. She said, but you can sit in front of that bit of paper for four and a half hours. That's interesting, isn't it? That I couldn't... I you know, maybe it's because you can see the progression in the tally Possibly. Model. It's funny you say tally because I do exactly that. When, I'm paint, when I was painting this giant painting, I would I'd do a tally, you know, of how many hours I'd done. Yeah. And sometimes I could only do like an hour a day or two hours a day because other things were going yeah. on. But seeing that tally, like, develop, it's like, it's quite satisfying. It's like having a list and crossing through the list, yeah, yeah. which is what I sometimes do at the beginning of the day if I've got a load of tasks. So before I go to sleep, I'll write down all the things I need to do in the morning, you know. And there's something satisfying about having a visual record. Yeah, that's so, but when, you paint, when you're painting a ceiling, there's no, no you just, can't see any progression. No, can you? Although I hate oh, this, unless it's a really one colour against another. They do a pink paint, don't they? That turns white. Do they? Yeah. Do so they they, yeah. So if you're well, doing I'm a ceiling, this for the Battenberg. If they're <laughs> <laughs> no, because when you paint it on, it, yeah. it's pink, but then when it dries, it's white. Why? So that you can see where you are. I you never knew they did that. Yeah, so you can paint one bit within 20 minutes, that's dry, so you can't see that's, where... That's really clever, isn't it? I never knew that. I don't think that'll make it, innit? If um, <laughs> we, we've spoken of Goya, if it was you and five other artists, what would be your perfect group show? Or contemporary artists? Anything. Well, living I mean, I, I'm going to go for the... What, in any period of time? Any period, living or dead. Oh, God, that's, that's like a dream scenario, isn't it? I think Velasquez got to be top. Goya, um, Rembrandt. I'm, I'm a bit old-fashioned. It's what your expressions are, isn't it? It's what you make. Yeah, and I think Warhol maybe, and then one more. Let me see. I'm a big fan of uh, of um, well, Manet. It'd have to be Manet. Actually. Yeah. yeah, those those. Uh, it's a bit male-centric, I apologise for that, but, but um, I know. Yeah, but your inspiration is your inspiration, isn't it? You don't, yeah. It's not PC, is Yeah, it? I mean, it's not, I'm purely going on the, you know, the, the aesthetic and everything. And, um, and Warhol comes up a lot. Does he? He's, he's probably the, the top. Yeah, I mean, I, I really love his, uh, he was very much about surface and, and, and taking supposedly superficial things and, 
playing with the idea of being quite shallow, you yeah. know, and, and he was a bit like that when you met him, according to things that I've read. And I'm reading his A to Z of, um, you know, Warhol philosophy at the moment. And he just, the way he thinks, completely different, completely different. But I do have an issue, and it's a little bit of a bugbear, with the fact that he just took photo- photographs and he, and he just used them like they didn't really, the photographers didn't matter. You know, so he'd take photos that he found. I think there's, there's someone who's still got an ongoing case of a photo of Prince that she took in a New York photographer. And he just used it, you know, and I thought, that's a bit mean, you know. Um, but apart from that, I think he's fantastic. Um, it's one of the reasons when I've worked with uh, Garrick Mankovic on the, on the collection with him, that it was, it, was, it was a collaboration straight down the line. You know, I, I have no issue with collaborations because to me it's like a musical partnership oh, I, see, I, see, I, know. I love collaborations totally because what happens very often is you get a sum of both parts you, you're something putting, else it's, it's what I got off of Heath Kane he said there's in, in advertising there's one and one equals three totally it's and the same with any, with any creative process yeah. that's why with the face value show that I was doing you know, I'm getting one artist giving it to a different artist the initial artist doesn't even know what's going on until they see the artwork. Yeah. And I think it's beautiful. Well, that, it's I, I quite like that as well, because if they don't know, that's really clever of you to initiate that process. That it's, there's Very a, vulnerable. There's an element of surprise. Yeah. You know, so that, that's quite nice as well, isn't it? But they, they, they would have to be up for the surprise to get involved in the first place. Mm. So, that, you know, they've got to be ready for whatever, whatever's going to come yeah. to them. And, and no matter how it's been approached, everything is within... The brief, yeah. Whether the artist likes it or not, it's within the brief. Everything, yeah. If you wasn't an artist, what would you like to be? I think I'm a bit of a frustrated musician. Nice. I think music is like um, this universal language. A lot of my mates are musicians. I'm not mates of the darkness, the band, and I'm often going to see them when they come back and do any sort of thing. And um, I just think music is the other way of reaching people and. Uh, I like having a tinker on the piano and I think what I'd probably have done if I didn't have the artistic thing going on I would have tried to learn the piano or something um, yeah because I think music's fantastic and I, I like singing in the bath as well <laughs> everyone's, everyone's good at that um, what have you got coming up or what have you got in the um, pipeline at the moment I've got some private commissions so I'm painting someone's mum Nice. Um, I'm painting to a son and a daughter of someone and uh, I think Garrett and I are going to be having a show in Washington of our 45 RPM mm. stuff which is going to be exciting yeah, it's cool. we're working with an American artist um, uh, called Bill Adair who does these gilded doors and we're going to be incorporating our 45 RPM images of Jimi Hendrix and um, you know the stones and stuff into them. I think so. That, that's something. That's like a tri collaboration. Yeah. You know, so that's quite interesting too. Is that um, featuring in it the Hendrix that you've got on the wall there? Uh, it might well do. It might well it's do. Cool, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so so that's in, you know, in the, in the, and I want to do uh, I want to do some more um, you know uh, pieces in galleries. You know, I've got some ideas for about uh, doing a similar thing with uh, different artists. Nice. It didn't go on, so we'll wait and see. But I just kind of keep my mind 
have a tea and a wait and see what floats into it. Yeah. Sometimes you just get ideas in the night, you wake up and you think, I've got to do They're that. Great, they? Yeah. I mean, yeah. working with Chris Brace on the Neons was fantastic. Because yeah. we, we had some crazy ideas. We just sort of hung out and chewed the fat and came up with some really, I think they were really great ideas, you know, and, it, and that was such a great uh, collaboration too. Are you able to talk about the documentary? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've got the documentary of Chris in, in some kind of state. It's about an hour and a half. And we just need we need a production company to come and have a look at it and assess it and see what can be done with it because we've got some great footage. And he had a great story. You know, he he started in Neon, you know, doing kebab shops and yeah. kissing out Soho, you know, with all of the... Um, for, working for Paul Raymond. And then he started working with Kubrick and I worked on all these amazing his foot in the door with the film world was um, Mona Lisa and he, he said to the director well I, I can get you into all these places in Soho if you let me do the lights nice. so it was a trade Yeah. and that was his first uh, foot in the door with the, with the film world and he's just got he was such uh, a funny guy um, so we've got we've got loads of great footage but we need someone who's a, has expertise in the documentary yeah. area I'm an artist so this is my first frame to producing although I did a bit of film stuff at college and I really enjoyed it but to me film is another means of communication and I'm really interested in it because it's uh, well he's a good person to document isn't he yeah, yeah so we'll see I mean let's see what what, what happens with that um, but you know I, I keep an open mind you just don't know what's around the corner with, yeah. with art and I think that's having an open mind and sometimes I like to try and forget everything I know when I, when I begin a project you know it's yeah. like there's a Miles Davis story where he started doing Kind of Blue and the musicians the session musicians came in and they started playing and Miles was like stop 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 like, what, what, what are we doing something wrong and he said look man you know you, you're playing what you know or whatever <laughs> yeah. and he said try and play uh what you don't, you know, just yeah. forget everything yeah. and then, then do it. And then they sort of try to go into this meditative state and start, and then record the, the result is kind of blue, which is a classic yeah. album. So I like that idea of just wiping your, the mind, you know, clean of everything that you, you think you know or the tricks that you know and doing something from scratch. So actually, that might have happened with the um, collaboration with Abudia. Now he's an Ivory Coast uh, artist from Ivory Coast and uh, his work is completely uh, expressive so it's a bit like it's a bit basquiat-y and we, we've done a collaboration together really large pieces and that was just fantastic because we'd paint on them together and it's a bit like jazz or something yeah. like improvising jazz and yeah I've seen something they're, they're pretty cool aren't they yeah something got auctioned recently I think in uh, I think it was in Paris one of the pieces that the, our dealer released um, and, it, and it, it, it got released in the market so that was fantastic and that's an ongoing thing too and uh, you know he, he's got a, million, a brilliant amazing story as well he was a street kid he was like the, they call it Nucci mm. in, um, in Abidjan and uh, saw horrors of war and everything you know so he put all that into the paintings that he was doing so he'd paint on anything he could find and then uh, people realised he had this uh, great, uh, you know, talent, and and his work's highly collected, you know. Now, so it's been great working with him and stuff, you know, because we're completely different ends of the cultural yeah. uh, spectrum in a way. So when we came together, 
we were reaching back to stuff in our own histories and and that clash of, that clash of ideas. Yeah, it helps you. You know, you can feed off each other a bit. Totally, it does, totally. It? Yeah. So that that's been great. Yeah, but I'm I'm open minded and uh, and I'm looking forward to working on the portraits that I do. I mean, I love I love doing portraits of people too because um, the people really really appreciate it when, when you've done something for them yeah. and they they you know that they're going to be living with it for a long time and the families will be having it and, and stuff passed on at least two generations no doubt hopefully yeah I mean it's it's you do sort of as an artist you leave yourself behind in what you mm. uh, what you do so. You know that that you're sort of thinking of the future as well in a way when you when you're doing things. So yeah. Well, where can people see your day-to-day stuff, be it website or social media? Well, that the Goya in the Prado painting is on my website, so it's the first thing you see when you go on. It's ChristianFur.com, and you can see that the the big um, you know the painting, and then you click on it, it'll tell tells you the whole story about how it happened and how it was created. And the person who commissioned it, and what what he thought, and why he came up with the idea too. And um, all, most of my stuff is on the website, you know, and you know watercolors that I've done when I travel around the world and stuff. Um, so that that's a good portico. But I'm here most of the time. This is Richmond Atelier on Richmond Hill. It's about five minutes from Richmond Station. And if you want a nice day out and see an incredible Some view, view which I painted a few times. So it's Turner, isn't it? Yeah, this, the, the, they've all been up yeah. here. Um, you know, it's it's a lovely. You can in the summertime on the hill there, you can have a picnic, and it's fan, fantastic. Mm-hmm. If you're in London, it's such a lovely place to come and hang out in the sun. Yeah. You know, in the summertime when it's hot, and even now in the winter, you get some lovely views from up here. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you can come here and see things. Uh, you know, I'm, if I'm, if I'm painting, I'll you know happily have a chat and show you stuff. And if they can't make it to Richmond, your social media? Social media, Instagram, Christian Fur. Christian Fur is my Instagram handle. Um, And I've got, in fact, I've got another Instagram account called Paintings of Cheese, which has all the paintings. (laughs) Which pretty much says what it does on the tin. Exactly, it does what it says on the tin. Um, But actually, I'm at the Affordable Art Fair in March. Oh, good. So I've got some cheese paintings and some backbone paintings going in there. Um, and the dealer's called uh, Nicholas Bowlby. Um, so I'm really excited about I that. I know, I was with him last week. Were you? Lovely man. He's so, brilliant. Yeah. And he um, he saw my piece on the BBC. The BBC did a news piece on my show that I had in Tunbridge Wells with, with the cheese pictures. And, um, and he came down to visit me here in the east, uh, you know, taking some from the affordable art first. So. Well, he asked me for a link to the podcast, but at the time it used to be called Mizog Art Podcast, as you know, and now I've changed it to Ministry of Arts. It's pointless me telling you where it is now because it's going to change next week. Yeah. Um, so I said, well, once it's turned over to its new name, I'll send you the link. So I'll do that this afternoon. Oh, I fantastic. Think, yeah, cheers, Gary. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Okay, well. That's all my questions asked. Well, thanks. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for coming to see me in the Richmond Italia. There we have it, Christian Fur. I loved making this episode. Mainly because of the painting that we was talking about in this episode called Goya at the Prado. I'd been to see Christian a few times on the run-up to making this podcast. And I'd seen it in various states of completion. Each time he'd give me a little rundown of its progress and and the obstacles that he's faced. 
or what he's discovered along the way. And yeah, it was definitely one of my favourites. So as I said at the start of this podcast, these additional bits were recorded three or four weeks before it's actually released. So as you're listening to this, I obviously have no idea of the state of play regarding the coronavirus. So all I can say is just stay safe and I'll see you in a couple of weeks with the next episode. Like I say every week, if you're able to leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening to this, not only does it help us get noticed, it's also vital for anyone who's looking for an art podcast. Either way, look after yourself and until the next episode, ta-ra. 